Y'all with me? Man, it's so good to see you. We're grateful you're here today in person. It's so amazing not to preach to an empty room. So I'm glad you're here. And we're super grateful. We've got hundreds of people that are watching online that can't be here for work or health or many other reasons, but we love you. And uh, we're lifting you up today as well. Man, I'm so grateful you're here. Today's been a fantastic day already, hasn't it? You can't go wrong with baptisms, both this morning and throughout the week. It's been incredible. It's, uh, it's been so good. We had a great crowd at 9 a.m., but if you would like a little extra elbow room next week, maybe you could consider coming to the 9 a.m. as well. It's fantastic. The only difference is whether you're on your first or second cup of coffee, so you can get up a few minutes earlier and make that part of your routine. But if you don't mind, let's pray together this morning. Would you bow your heads just for a moment? Would you close your eyes? I'm just so aware that there's a lot going on in the world around us. Uh, before the 9 a.m., I was talking to my buddy Paul and just their family's been through extreme loss over the last handful of weeks. And then I think about uh, another friend that, uh, man, the, just the, the downturn is caught up with his work. And so he finds himself in this uncertain season of what his next job will look like and the bills keep coming in. And then I was talking to another buddy of mine whose family has been walking through COVID. And there's something about when you experience it personally in your own home, that becomes more real in so many ways. And then obviously our president and our first lady. And then I think about all the first responders that have just been serving so faithfully throughout the season. And I think about our law enforcement. And I think about our educators and politicians and leadership and there's, we could go on and on and on. But what an appropriate course for us to have sang this morning to say, Lord, I need you, Lord, I need you, Lord, I need you, not just every hour, but every moment. And so as we pray this morning, if that's you and you would just say, hey, I, I, I need him today. I need an answer to prayer. There's something I'm walking through and maybe I mentioned it and maybe it's something I haven't even touched on, but you would just say, as we pray together as a family, pray for me. If that's you, would you just slip your hands straight up in the air and let's pray together as we do that. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful for an opportunity to worship you, to celebrate the life change we've seen in these and many others. But Father, we come to you and we humbly say that we do need you. We absolutely need you. And so I pray that you would show up in a powerful way in each person's lives for the hands that were raised, for the many that weren't for those watching from afar even. God, would you help us to lean on you, to lean on you, to find our hope and strength in you. We desperately need you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen, amen. Thank you, Austin. Thank you everybody for being here today. We, uh, I do wanna say uh, one quick thing, Pastor Chuck, uh, is preaching a wedding down in Florida today. So that's a tough place to be, right? And he actually turns, he says 61 this coming up Friday, but I thought it'd be great if a few hundred of his friends would jump on Facebook, maybe even now or on social media and wish him a happy 70th and maybe tell him that he looks good for seven. And if any of y'all feel led to do so, maybe even say Pastor Papa, that would be awesome. We'd love that. But uh, while being in Florida, he's been able to see two of his grandkids, which is always amazing. And he's such a great leader. In fact, uh, he kicked us off a few weeks ago in this teaching series that we're calling What's Next. And the idea is that everybody has a next, that if we're not dead, then God's not done with us. 
Is that tracking with you? If we still have breath in our lungs, God's not finished with us. He, he started a work and he's not finished with it yet. And so if you're here, you're here on purpose. So week one was an intro to say, man, there is a next. And then week two was sort of a reset to say, as we get ready to regather in person, there's a reset to say that all of life change happens depending on who we believe Jesus to be, that Jesus is the center of all of this. And then week three, Pastor Chuck came back and he said, you know what? Uh, yes, uh, the reason why we're here is to know God, but over time, the longer we know him, the more freedom we should experience. And so if you've ever found yourself hung up in old habits and sins and addictions and struggles, there's hope that Jesus can bring freedom. And then last week, he and I had the privilege of tag teaming teaching together. And we talked about that you're here on purpose, that there's a purpose that we're meant to discover. And one of the best ways to discover your purpose is by looking at your gifts and passions and seeing how God's wired you. Next Sunday, I think is gonna be the best message of the series as Pastor Chuck talks about how do we live this out? How do we put all of this together and do something? But today I wanna to talk about a powerful part of this whole teaching of what's next and talk about this idea of making a difference. Here's what I believe, you are meant to make a difference. You're absolutely meant to make a difference. You're meant to make a difference on this earth that ripples into eternity. One of the things that happened uh, just back in August is my grandmother, who many of you who are part of our prayer team have prayed for over the last couple of years, but my grandmother went to be with the Lord. She passed away. She was 92 years old. Isn't that amazing? She was 92 years old. And uh, uh, obviously there was mixed emotions. Like we miss her like crazy yet. For the last couple of years, she's been saying, I'm ready to go home, I'm ready to go home, I'm ready to go home. My grandmother was 92 and she passed away. My grandfather was 94 when he passed away. So apparently in the McGraw side of the family, there's pretty good genes. And let me just go on record and say, my grandmother or my grandfather never had a piece of kale in their life. My grandfather had quadruple bypass surgery when I was a, a youngster, and yet he still fried a pound of bacon every single day. And so if you want to live to be 94, <laughs> eat grits, have lots of butter on them, eat a pound of bacon every day, ha eat all of that stuff, mashed potatoes with gravy. Can I get a good hearty amen this morning? Anybody with me? Y'all tracking with me? And so, uh, so I'm grateful. My grandfather, 94, my grandmother, 92. But at the same time, I think about the other side of that coin. And my dad uh, passed away pretty rapidly when he was 58. And my aunt passed away when she was 59. And so the reminder to me has always been that life is short. Are you tracking with me? Life is short. Even the longest life is still short. And so the reminder of today is that if life is short and if death is certain, then we need to make the most of the time that we have now. Does that make sense? Are y'all tracking with me? That, that life is short, even, even the longest life is short. And so we're not promised tomorrow. We're not promised another year. We're not promised another 10 years that if life is short and I don't know how much time I have left, that when I realize the time I have left is shorter than maybe I even imagined, I need to make the most of the time I have now. I'm, I'm reminded of what 
Moses himself wrote in Psalm chapter 90, he wrote this prayer out and here's his prayer in Psalm 90 verse 12. He says, teach us to number our days. In other words, remind us that today matters. Remind us that we don't know how many days that we have. Remind us that there's no accidents when it comes to our days on this earth. He says, teach us the number of our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. That when we realize, man, I don't know how much time I have left. I hope it's a long time, but I don't know how much time I have left. I don't know how much time you have left, but here's what I do know that today matters and that how we live matters. And that if we wanna make a difference, one of the great ways to make a difference is to realize that time is short, that today is important and of us to live with urgency. And so as I was preparing for this week and knowing that the, the weight of today's message and just how important this message is, I was asking the question, well, who models how to do this? Who models how to make a difference? Who has modeled in scripture how to live with intentionality? And obviously the best person I know that modeled this was Jesus himself. This last semester, I was privileged to co-teach a small group through the book of the Gospel of Mark with my buddy Stephen Box. And Mark is the shortest gospel in the New Testament, but it's the fastest pace where it says, and immediately Jesus did this, and immediately Jesus did this, immediately. And it's as if Mark captured Jesus's realization that time on this earth is short and Jesus himself wanted to make the most of that moment. And so this morning, I really have a pretty calorie dense message. In other words, I've got way more than I can do in one day. And so I wanna invite you, if you're a note taker, to jot some of these things down. If you have the Sugar Hill Church app, you'll find the message slides within there. But I would love for you to walk away from today thinking about this idea that your life matters, that every day matters, and you can live in such a way that you make an impact far beyond today. In fact, the nucleus of this message came probably about four years ago. About four years ago, I was in Nashville and I was a part of probably six or so people that were part of a little project to help kick off this online course. And we, get, we went to dinner with one of the people that's become a mentor in my life. He's an author and speaker and just an incredible human being, but he's a follower of Christ and a successful business guy. And we were sitting at dinner and we could ask him anything about anything. And I asked him basically, hey, what are you producing next? What are you doing next? And when he described what he was doing next, he said, actually, it comes down to this blog post that I wrote years ago. And his blog post has been out a long, long time. And he called it the leadership strategy of Jesus. And within that little article was unpacking what I consider to be the life principles of Jesus. If you're a note taker, here's the first thing that I believe Jesus lived with an intentionality with. And it's number one, Jesus valued purpose over popularity. Jesus valued purpose more than popularity. When you look in Mark chapter three, it says in verse seven that Jesus went out to the lake with his disciples and a large crowd followed him. And they came from all over Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem. So, so he's just, this is describing, hey, people are showing up, people are showing up, people are showing up. It says in the end of verse eight, and the news about his miracles had spread far and wide and vast numbers of people came to see him. And Jesus instructed his disciples to have a boat ready so that the crowd would not crush him. 
Verse 10, and he healed many people that day. So all the sick people eagerly pushed towards him and touched him. Verse 11, and whenever those possessed with evil spirits caught sight of him, the spirits would throw them to the ground in front of him, shrieking, you are the son of God. But Jesus sternly commanded the spirits not to reveal who he was. Verse 13, and afterwards, Jesus went up to a mountain and he called out to the ones he wanted to go with him. I think this is interesting. You can look in all four gospels and you can see some version of this. I think it's interesting when you think about the one person on the planet that has made the biggest difference, Jesus himself, that difference didn't stop with those early disciples. That difference didn't stop with the first century believers. That, that, that difference didn't stop with the early church in the book of Acts. It didn't stop with Constantine in, in the fourth century. This difference that Jesus made ripples throughout all of eternity. And when Jesus tried to decide for the limited amount of time he was on this earth, for those three and a half years that he was gonna have a public ministry, Jesus could have spent time with whoever he wanted to. He could have hung out with the masses. He could have hung out with the thousands or millions. Even if he wanted to, he could have changed the century he came. He could have said, you know what? I'm gonna wait until Twitter is a thing or I'm gonna wait until I can have a few million uh, Instagram followers or I'm gonna wait until I can have the best TikTok video you've ever seen. I can't believe I actually put that in a sermon. Jesus could have come at any moment and hung out with as many people as he wanted to, but instead of focusing on breath, Jesus focused on depth. When you look at the life of Jesus, what you see him model is intentionality. Let me show you what I mean by this, and this is gonna be on the screens if you wanna follow along, but Jesus spent a little bit of time with a lot of people, but he spent a lot of time with just a few. And if you wanna make a ripple effect impact in your world, this would be something to pay attention to. Here, here's what you see in scripture. The first group of people you see Jesus around that we saw in this passage is Jesus was around the multitudes. He was around a lot of people. And when Jesus was with the multitudes, his main focus was to teach them. And so you see Jesus with a public ministry. His, his, uh, his popularity grew over time. People would show up, they would, they'd come from all walks of life, all backgrounds, and they would show up and he would teach them. And what's interesting about the teaching of Jesus is Jesus never lowered the standard for them. Jesus never just told them what he thought they wanted to hear. Jesus never made it necessarily easy for them. In fact, a lot of times when Jesus taught, he left them with more questions than when he started. And it's almost as if Jesus' point was to get them to change their way of thinking. It was almost as if Jesus' point was, you've grown up around this stuff and you've heard all of these things from other people, but I need you to own it for yourself. And so when Jesus was around the multitudes, he taught them. But what you see over time is Jesus didn't just hang out with the multitudes. He went deeper with a group of people. The next layer to that is Jesus mobilized the seventy. Jesus mobilized the 70. The gospel of Matthew is one of the places you see this. In Matthew chapter nine, Jesus going from city to city, from place to place. And it says in Matthew nine, when Jesus came into the city, he saw the people and it says he had compassion on them. 
It says, for they are like sheep without a shepherd. In other words, when he saw people, he didn't see them as problems. He saw them as opportunities. When he saw people, he saw them distracted and, and, and dismayed and, and wandering around trying to find hope and trying to find help. And so Jesus is, is affected by this physically. Physically, he's affected. He says he has compassion, which means his insides turned. And so he turned to those guys that were with him and says, the harvest is plentiful, meaning there's a lot of people that need to hear the good news, but the workers are few. He says, therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send out more workers into the harvest. And so Matthew 9, Jesus says, look, here's what I want you to do. I want you to pray. I want you to pray. I want you to pray. God, would you send out more people to tell the good news? Would you send out more people to serve these people around me? And then in Matthew chapter 10, guess what he does? To those same people, he said, I want you to pray about it. He says, now tag, you're it. Now go from city to city and spread the good news. He's mobilizing them. He's saying, it's not meant for you just to sit back and watch. It's not meant for you to be a spectator. It's meant for you to go. And when he sends them, he doesn't give them a lot of stuff. In fact, he tells them, I don't want you to take much money. I don't want you to take much food. I don't want you to take much clothing. In other words, Jesus is pushing them out of their comfort zone and he mobilizes them. So Jesus spent a little bit of time with the multitudes. He spent a little bit more time with the 70 and Jesus spent even more time with the 12 disciples. And when Jesus hung out with the 12, what he was primarily doing is he was training them. It was like on the job training. It was as if he's saying, I want you to follow me. And so he taught them, he gave them assignments. He shared with them his daily life. He poured into them. And so it wasn't just, hey, let me tell you what I'm going to do or let me tell you what to do. He modeled it for them. He trained them, he equipped them, he gave of himself to them. So you see Jesus spend more time, he spent a little bit of time with the multitude, he spent more time with the 70, he spent even more time with the 12, but he spent more time with the three. He confided in the three. Think about Peter, James, and John. He had a deeper relationship with them. He took them places that he didn't take the rest. He allowed them to go with him to places like the mountain where, where he was transfigured and he allowed them to have a glimpse into heaven. He allowed them to see his glory. They allowed him to see him in his humanity and the ups and downs, the temptations in the garden. He prayed with them. He taught them things he didn't teach others. He spent time with them. They were the closest to him. They were his confidants. And the last layer of this upside down triangle is that Jesus led himself. It's impossible to have a lasting impact if we can't even lead ourselves well. We'll talk about it more in a second, but here's what I want you to get out of this idea of Jesus putting purpose before popularity. His point wasn't popularity. His point wasn't the masses necessarily. Jesus realized with a little bit of time that he had on this earth, if this mission was gonna go beyond him and to live throughout the generations, the closer Jesus got to the goal, the smaller the crowd became. In other words, Jesus realized the truth that we have to learn. We can do anything we want to, but we can't do everything we want to. 
We can do anything. There's so much potential for our time and there's so much potential for our money and there's so much potential for what we could be doing. We could do anything we want to, but we can't do everything we want. And so what that constraint means is we have to put some intentionality behind it. And so this first principle of the life of Jesus is number one, Jesus put purpose ahead of popularity, that when he wanted to go deep, he went deep with a few. And I'm a product of that. I'm the product of that. Back when I first was entering into full-time ministry, and I knew that part of my calling would be to preach and to teach, and uh, naturally, I wasn't sure how I was going to do that. I'm more wired as an introvert when I'm not preaching. I'm cool with just being in the back of the room and just watching and all this stuff. And, but I knew that there was this call to do what I'm doing today. And in those early days, I became friends with a guy who, a guy named Dave Edwards, who actually preached here a number of years ago. But Dave, uh, when I first met him, he was on the road about 30 days a month preaching in cities. He wasn't just at a church, he was at these events where churches would come and it's like he was pastoring cities. And so I lived near Memphis and so whenever he was in Memphis, I'd go and watch him preach and then eventually I would hang out afterwards and I'd just start asking him questions. And then over time, what would begin to happen is we'd go grab a meal afterwards and I'd ask him more ministry questions. And eventually he invited me to go on the road with him and basically intern with him. I'd ask him more questions and I would see him in environments. I'd see him in stadiums preaching to tens of thousands of people. And I'd see him in rooms like this one preaching to hundreds of people. And literally my buddy Dave uh, has written dozens of books. Uh, He's preached to hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people. But the greatest impact he made in my life was when we were one-on-one. And chances are you know somebody like that. Chances are there's somebody in your story that instead of going for width, went for depth. Chances are there's somebody in your life and my question is who's that in yours? Who's in your inner circle? Who are you pouring into? So number one, if we're gonna make an impact, it starts with purpose, not popularity. Principle number two, if you're a note taker, write this one down. Not only did Jesus put purpose ahead of popularity, but Jesus put people ahead of products. Jesus put people ahead of products. In other words, Jesus did not treat relationships as transactional. I think sometimes too often people treat other people as just somebody they can use to get whatever they want. And so the moment you give them what they want, then they move on, they sort of discard you. Jesus never did that. Jesus never used people for their product. Jesus was never transactional in his relationships. Instead, Jesus went deep with these people. It says in Mark chapter three, verse 13, and afterwards Jesus went up on a mountain and he called out the ones that he wanted to go with them and they came to him, then he appointed them and he called them out. In other words, Jesus developed a relationship with them. Now there's a lot of ways that Jesus did this. Let me just rattle off a few and I wish I could go in depth in these, but I do want to encourage you to join us Wednesday night for midweek at 7 p.m. where we'll sort of unpack this at a different level. But let me give you some ways that Jesus developed a relationship. One of the ways he did it was by modeling authenticity. Modeling authenticity. In other words, Jesus let his inner crew see the real him. And so there are times that things like the transfiguration happened and he brought them to that. And that was a, a high mark, right? That was a high mark where they got to see a glimpse of who he is and they got to see.
became humiliated on the cross. And I would just say for all of us that if we want to make an impact, we need to model that kind of authenticity that yes, people may respect us for our successes, but they really connect with us through our weaknesses, through our authenticity. We don't have to act like we always have it together. In fact, let me just let you in on a little secret. None of us have it all together. None of us have it all together. That's why on the sign we say, this is the perfect place for folks that aren't. In fact, we break the grammar rules just to put it up there to say, everybody's welcome. None of us have arrived. A second way that Jesus develops relationship is he demonstrates to them the work that he's gonna call them to do. He doesn't just say, good luck, go figure it out. It's as if he has this apprenticeship program and he took time to show them and he took time to, to walk alongside them and to tell them, here's what I want you to do and then here's why I want you to do it. In fact, oftentimes after he taught the masses, he would pull the disciples to the side and say, now let me tell you why I did what I did. He demonstrated the work. See, he assigned big tasks to them. He gave them big jobs. He stretched them. He gave them assignments that were outside of their comfort zone. I guarantee you in Matthew 10, when Jesus says, not only do I want you to pray that God's gonna send out more workers, I want you to go and be the workers. Oh, and by the way, don't take money with you. Don't take food. Don't take clothing with you. Just go. He doesn't give them a lot of resources. I guarantee you they were like, huh? Can I just pray about that a little bit longer? But he gave them big assignments. Here's another way Jesus developed a relationship. He asked a lot of questions. He asked a lot of questions. I think sometimes we think we need to have all the answers when in fact, one of the best ways to grow somebody else and to grow in relationship with somebody else is instead of answering everything to respond with more questions. I think it's interesting that uh, Jesus asked about 307 questions while he was on this earth. (laughs) In fact, people asked him hundreds of questions and out of the hundreds of questions they asked him, he answered only about three of them. I think that's interesting. Jesus asked questions like, who do people say I am? Why, why do you doubt? Why do you love me? Do you love me? What do you want me to do for you? Here's another way he developed a relationship. He provided correction to them. He provided correction. So when necessary, he rebuked them. He called them out. For some people, this comes really easy. I mean, uh, it's so funny to see on social media, the little hashtag of Karens. I don't know if y'all seen those or not, but for some people, it comes easy to call other people out and to point out when they were wrong. We, we were somewhere uh, like two weeks ago at a restaurant and uh, the tables were packed. And this lady who I've called Karen came up and I know some awesome Karens in here, by the way, let me give a, a little uh, disclaimer. But this lady walked up to the table and was like, are you all about finished? Are you going to be done soon? And then I was like, I'm going to stand here until y'all get away from this table. And then as soon as she sat down, she complained about her food. <laughs> so for some people, calling out stuff comes easy. For others of us, maybe it's harder. But the Bible tells us in Ephesians 4 that we're to speak the truth in love. We're to speak the truth in love. That's part of developing and making an impact. Here's the last one I'll mention. Jesus believed in them. Jesus believed in them. He would say things to them like, you're gonna do greater things than I've done. And he meant it. He, he entrusted them, he empowered them. 
I think sometimes in our day and age, we're, we're a little slow to encourage the people around us. We're afraid that maybe it'll go to their heads or, or we think, well, they don't need encouragement. They don't, they don't need encouragement. Let me just say 100% of the people I know need encouragement especially in the season we're living in, they need encouragement. They need encouragement. And so Jesus modeled that. He gave them affirmation. He, he said, you're gonna do greater things. You're gonna go on and do greater things. In fact, if you're a parent or a grandparent, I wanna invite you to pull out your phone real quick and take a picture of this next screen. Um, I, don't, I don't have time to drill down into it, but man, this is such an easy application of believing in other people that I, I'd love for you to take a picture of this for your kids or your grandkids. Uh, this is my buddy, Josh Shipp on Instagram. He posted, has posted this several times. And every time I see it, I think it's so powerful. Seven things every kid needs to hear. And th this is all about intentionality. This is all about, hey, you don't have to be perfect, but to be intentional to make an impact. So number one, is that Jesus started with personal or private before public. I said during sort of that first principle that if we can't lead ourselves, we're gonna have a hard time of leading anybody else. If we can't lead ourselves well, we're gonna have a hard time of impacting other people. If we can't lead ourselves well, I don't know that we ought to even attempt to lead other people. And what I find so interesting is that while Jesus was on this earth, yes, he's God, but he came as a man. And here's what it says in Mark chapter one and verse 35, it says, before daybreak the next morning, Jesus got up and he went out to an isolated place to pray. Jesus himself models this. You read this throughout the gospels. When Jesus wanted to be close to his heavenly father, he talked to him in prayer. When Jesus fought temptation, he quoted scripture. If Jesus did those things, I'm reminded how much more we need to do those things that we need to start with ourselves, that we've gotta make sure we're the healthiest us we can be. Here's, here's a couple of action steps that I've been thinking about as I think about leading myself well. The first one is this, that I wanna be a person that keeps learning. Probably one of the best things that you can do if you really wanna leave a lasting impact is to become a student of yourselves and to develop what most people would call self-awareness. Self-awareness is the ability to know yourself and to see yourself as other people see you. One of the most dangerous things is somebody that thinks I've arrived and they don't realize how other people experience them. Our friend Jeff Henderson, who recently stepped down as pastor over at Gwinnett Church, says it this way. He asked the question, what's it like to be on the other side of me? What's it like to be on the other side of me? So I'd encourage you, man, if you wanna make an impact and you lead yourself well, start with learning, learning, self-assessments, coaches, counselors, uh, small group leaders in your life. The second action step is to keep growing, keep growing. Take the initiative to grow. Take the initiative to be the best follower of Jesus you can be. The Bible even says in Luke 2 verse 40 that Jesus grew in wisdom and stature in favor with God and men. The moment that we quit growing is the moment we begin to give up our right to make an impact. None of us have arrived. 
And the last sort of action step I've been thinking about is to stay focused. Stay focused. Are you all with me? It's so easy to get distracted, isn't it? I mean, the air conditioner just turned off and I got distracted. Sometimes I have what I call ADD prayers where I'm praying for God to do something great. And then I start thinking, isn't today taco day? Have y'all had those moments like that? Or this morning I, was, I got up early and I was trying to get ready without uh, disturbing Laura too much. And I, I left one room, went to the other room and forgot why I even went there. Have y'all had those moments? It's so easy to get distracted. And I'm telling you in this world, it's so easy to get distracted when we forget how little time we have and we forget how important the moment is. It's so easy for us to get distracted. And when we don't stay focused, we say yes to those things that bring us instant gratification. And by saying yes to the instant, we're actually saying no to the timeless. But when we stay focused it help us to prioritize what are the things that matter that help us to say no to the instant gratification so that we can say yes to the greater? One of the things I'm convinced of is that your story matters, your life matters, no matter how young you are or how advanced in years you are, you can make an impact. And at the end of the day, what I'm convinced of is that who you're becoming is even more important than what you're doing. And that if you, if I will say, Jesus, whatever the next step is, I'll take it. That if we say yes, the impact will be greater. One of the most powerful things that happen when we're celebrating the life of my grandmother, we walk through all the normal emotions and just the messiness of life transitions. But one of the things that I, I could say with confidence that my grandmother told me over and over again is, I'm ready to go home. I'm ready to go home. I'm ready to go home. I'm ready. And Pastor Chuck closed the funeral out and it was so powerful, it was so meaningful when he said, the reason why she was ready is because she prepared herself for it. Making an impact doesn't happen by accident. It doesn't happen just by hoping. It happens with that first step of saying yes to Jesus. If there's never been a moment that Jesus has been more than a story, more than a skit, more than just somebody you know about, but he's become the leader of your life, that's step one. To say, I, I put my faith in him. It doesn't mean you have it all figured out. It doesn't mean that you no longer have any doubts, but it means I know I need what only he can do. And that's where it starts. But after that moment, there's still a journey. After that moment, there's still that process of finding freedom from those things that entangle us. There's still that moment of discovering our purpose and putting our gifts to work. And there's still that moment of saying, I do wanna make an impact. And maybe the greatest measure of our impact isn't gonna be what our bank accounts say when we pass away. And maybe it's not gonna be how big our houses were when we pass away. And it's not gonna be how many toys we had when we pass away. Maybe the biggest impact we're gonna make is not what we did, but who we invested in. Apparently, the strategy of Jesus worked, didn't it? Apparently, it didn't end when he was on the cross. It didn't end when he went to heaven. It didn't end with that early church. What Jesus did with the few, 
has impacted generations even to today. Could it be that God wants to use you in the lives of one, two, three, four, 12, I don't know how many people to make an impact for him. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the reminder that we're not an accident, that we're not just taking up space. Thank you for reminding us that that we're made to know you. We're made to become more like you and we're made to make an impact. And Heavenly Father, I pray today for those that know you, but they, they, they've been taking this life for granted. I pray today you'd put a sense of urgency inside of them and a sense of desire to make every day matter. That they'd lead themselves well, that they'd pour themselves into other people and that the impact would be eternity shaping. And this morning, as I pray, if there's anybody that would say, I don't know him yet. I don't know that there's ever been a moment that I've put my trust in him. Would you pray this part of the prayer with me? It's not the words, but it's the heart behind it. Dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner and that my sin separates me from you. But I believe you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe you're alive today. And as best as I know how, I ask you to forgive me of my sins, to step out of heaven and into my heart and save me. Would you rescue me? And if you prayed that part of the prayer with me, either in the room or watching online, or maybe even listening to the podcast months and years later, would you drop us a note at hello at sugarhillchurch.com, hello at sugarhillchurch.com. We'd love to know that and we'd love to help you with that next step. Heavenly Father, we come back to this place, this posture, that without you, we can do nothing. Father, we need you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. It's been so good to be able to worship with you. Before we head out this morning, I know that some of you have children downstairs. If that's the case, uh, we ask that in a moment that one parent head out this side door to pick them up. And in a moment, the rest of us will go out this side. Uh, If you haven't used it yet, we've got some fantastic furniture out there that's meant for you to be able to hang out and to catch up with folks around you in a little bit more open air, safer environment. We'd love for you to be able to do that. But I do wanna encourage you, man, next Sunday is gonna be so powerful as Pastor Chuck talks, brings all of this together. So I wanna encourage you early on to go ahead and RSVP by going to sugarhill.church slash regather. And again, if you'd like some more elbow room, I wanna encourage you to consider coming at 9 a.m. and then maybe doing brunch with your family right after that. Uh, We're so grateful to be able to do this in person. But one of the people that I love getting to do this with is Pastor Zach. Thank you for leading us so well. Before we head out, do you mind leading us one last time? Absolutely. Let's let this be on our lips as we leave this place. Lord, I need you. You're my one defense, my